0: This country is in a certain amount of turmoil and a lot of people have mentioned that to me and and in asking, wondering where I think America is in all this, what I think her future is. Is America in prophecy? And what of our lives and what of us? And while a lot of those answers aren't very clear, I think that we can study what's going on in America and we can determine through the word a course of things and events that might come on this nation. There are examples in the Old Testament of things that come on the world from the time of Adam through the flood of Noah up until the time of Abraham and the promise to the children of Israel and their long relationship with God. And then, of course, the coming of the church age, which we are now a part of. And throughout this time, especially with the beginning of the time when Abraham was called and his people were given, there came into being what was known or what I would refer to as a client nation under God. A client nation being one that carries God's oracles and messages to the world and gives an example of what living under the grace of God can bring to a people. And so this morning... With that in mind, I want to talk to you about what I call the five cycles of discipline. Now, there are those who will say there are six cycles of discipline, and if you study, you can find these cycles as they come through the scripture in reference to the people of Israel. But they're very much applicable to the United States of America, to England, to any other country, to Russia. You name the country on the earth and the people there. These are applicable to nations and peoples, whether they be believers or unbelievers. This morning, I don't want to speak about the discipline that comes on the person. That's a whole different study. I want to talk about national discipline, and I want to speak to it in terms of client nation status, a priest nation, a believing nation, ordained of God. With a special message to the world, now that duty, of course, is to carry God's message to the world. And it was established in Israel. It was established in Exodus 19 four through six. It was established in Deuteronomy seven through six, and once again in Deuteronomy 26:15. Let me just read a couple of those to you but before i do that let me say that when israel was established she was established as client nation unto god for a period of time and an indication that if she failed or ceased to be god's oracle that that would cease In Genesis 49.10, the scripture says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Well, the Jews were very much aware of that. And you can imagine when the scepter did pass from the hand of Israel and what they believed was Shiloh, In this reference, the meaning of Christ and his kingdom. When that had not come in the manner that they thought it should come, a reigning Messiah rather than a suffering Messiah, the high priest tore their clothes, covered their head with ashes, and walked through the streets, crying, God's word has failed. But what they did not continue to read was in Isaiah 63, where it says that when the prince that shall come shall be cut off, that it would end the scepter in the hand of the house of Judah. And the scepter being no more than the right of rule, the scepter referring to the instrument in the hands of the king. But back to Israel being established, and I've moved forward through a lot of history, but Israel being established as client nation. And the reason I want to do this is to first Bring the point out of client nation status and then move us up with your patience here uh, to the point in time that I'm referring to of today. Deuteronomy 7, 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people who are upon the face of the earth. That's very clear about the setting aside. And and so you see by that that they were a set-aside nation. And they had a specific duty. And you all know that. You understand the law that was handed down and, and the things that they were given and the way they were to live as a client nation under God taking forth his message to the world and to show to a world that it was better to live under the oracles of God than to live outside of God. But as I, as I said in, in the end, though they should have been responsible for knowing what was going on when Christ appeared on the scene, they did not. And there are reasons for that. And one of the reasons was because the leaders had so perverted the scriptures of their day, their writings, to be self-serving and to bring on the things of men rather than the things of God, that they didn't understand those scriptures. They were held responsible, however, by Christ. As you'll remember, when he made his triumphal entry, he stopped looking over Jerusalem, and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times would I have gathered you unto myself as a hen gathers her chickens? But you would not. He wept for Jerusalem, he wept for his people, and Jerusalem was destroyed. But God knew that in advance, and God prepared a wonderful blessing for the rest of the world. For in the time that Jerusalem was cut off, looking for a reigning Messiah rather than a suffering Messiah, he grafted in the Gentiles. He worked this in his plan, ordained from before the foundation of the world, and the church age began. Israel was set aside. And what we have here are two categories, if you will, two categories of client nation status. We have the Jewish nations of the Old Testament, which had a limited priesthood We had Aaron in the beginning, and then we had the Levitical priesthood from the tribe of Levi, the firstborn of each family dedicated to the temple as the one that would serve there and would, would grow up, and even as the apostle Paul did, go and sit at the feet of one of the learned elders, hoping out of a group of many to be chosen and be that one that was taken in. You may have all wondered why he had such a close relationship with Timothy. Even Paul continued that on as a way of life, and he took Timothy under his wing, and even in the end, at the end of his life, conferring onto Timothy what he had given him and what he had received. So these young men would study hard under the leaders, and there would each one of the, the council would maybe have 20 or 30 young men studying under them, and they would pick the biggest, the best, the brightest in the, in the scriptures of those days, and they would take them personally to themselves and train them up, and one day they would replace that elder. So they were a limited priesthood, but then came the church age. The church age believers, the church itself. They too were a priesthood, a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, who was a royal priest because he was king of Salem. And following in his footsteps, Jesus, the great high priest, also a royal priest, a high priest but also royal of the family of God, and he conferred upon his church that same priesthood that we should all be priests. Not only priests, but high priests. The high priest being the only one who had the right to enter the Holy of Holies once a year, cleansing himself first and then the sins of the people. A priest that could alone take care of the needs of the people. Now we serve that purpose in life. Each one of us has access to the Holy of Holies. In fact, we live in the Holy of Holies. Almighty God has seen fit to put the Holy Spirit of God within our bodies, which he calls the temple of God. And we have daily communion as the church, the body of Christ. So we are a universal priesthood. Every believer a priest. Now these things are defined in 1 Peter 2, 5, 9, and 10. Romans 9, 25 and 26 and in the book of Hosea 2.23 for your reference if you care to look those up this is something I can't take a lot of time, there's a lot of material here I, I would like to read these all to you, it's worthy of a study I will give them again yes, and this is the Gentile church age, 1 Peter 2, 5, 9 and 10, Romans chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, and the book of Hosea, chapter 2 and verse 23, please be careful as you study these out. To take context, and please also understand that in some of these verses, uh, especially Old Testament references, we're looking as example at the client nation Israel, and we have to transfer some of that to today. The client nation types were one in Israel, a wholly set-apart nation with a specialized priesthood that was selective in the Levites. In the church, once again, a holy set-apart church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, a universal priesthood, every believer a priest and every priest a believer. Now, there's something evolving out of that, an example that we see in many of the scriptures of the Old Testament. And it's referred to in the New Testament, especially in dealing with Israel, and it's called a remnant. I like to refer to a remnant as a pivotal factor. And this is a very peculiar group of people, whereas the cursing came down upon the people in general, especially of Israel. There was always a remnant was saved out of that and brought forward for grace and for mercy and the continuance of those people and the continuance of that that they were assigned by God. So this remnant is a percentage of mature believers, and I like to remind you of the word mature here because baby Christians, the newborn in Christ, have growing to do before they can receive that measure of maturity to carry on these priestly duties. While everyone, even a new believer, is a priest, we have to grow in Christ, and we have to learn how to use these oracles of God for the benefit of the body and for the furtherance of the expounding of the gospel of Christ. Now, these mature believers, or this pivotal factor, or this remnant, they bring blessing, and blessing by association. There's not only blessing when... When it's conferred from God, perhaps through prayer or through this majority of believing people, which is not always a majority, but it is good for any nation that has a majority, but there's also blessing by association. There are examples in the Old Testament, and there are examples in this day and age when a believing nation that is befriended by another nation receives blessing that is conferred upon that blessed nation that flows over to the associate nation. In fact... The word says, blessed is the nation that blesses Israel. And we should remember that as believers in our individuality unto the chosen children even of today, but also that nation, Israel, that we remember to bless them and to act in a way that would be as though God is blessing them through us. If you read... The book of Judges, and study in there, you can find the blessing by association that's called out in that book of Judges as judgment, but there's also blessing by association there. Now the converse principle of this is in Genesis, and it's in Genesis 18, 20 through 23. And it is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. So for every wonderful principle of grace and mercy, you're going to find the converse of that. And we're going to see that as we get into the five cycles of discipline, as I call them. So the principle is then reject the word and you reject God. And then... God rejects the rejecter. Hosea 4, 6 and 9. Let me, I have marked that. Let me read that this morning. I pray I've got that marked here for quick reference. Hosea 4, 6 and 9. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. God rejects the rejecter. God has great mercies. God has wonderful grace in our individual lives, as the body of Christ and as a nation, there is a point in time as he deals with us that if we cross a line, then comes discipline. If you remember, in the Old Testament and Proverbs, it says a man does not discipline children that are not his own. And God, in speaking, even in parable form like that, is also speaking of himself, But God, who has children of his own, he says, whom he loves, he also disciplines. He chastens and he scourges with a whip. There's a lot of meaning in that. It is never punishment. It is a corrective factor in our lives to bring us back on track with our submission to God and our learning and our growth in Christ. It is part of that sanctification process that all believers enter into after we're created anew. So there is a trend there for the believer. Falling away, we start with apostasy, which the Greek word for falling away. We begin, as, we begin as believers in apostasy, we fall into reversionism, turning around, going the wrong way, and then we walk into evil. Those are three steps. You need to write on your heart and think about as a believer. Am I going to be caught up in the apostasy of the day as a believer? Am I going to be reversionistic as I turn and go the opposite direction from the one that I've been following? And am I going to do evil? How about the unbeliever? They begin in unbelief. They don't even start where the believer starts. And unbelief, yet having a conscience and a mind that seeks an answer for that which by instinct we know as there is a God. They go from unbelief to rebellion. And it's rebellion against that which they know from everything around them. Even creation teaches the unbeliever that there's a higher power, a God. They go from unbelief to rebellion and from rebellion right into wickedness. And the wicked God says shall fall into tribulation. And so enter the divine discipline that I mentioned earlier. Not suffering or persecution for spiritual growth. Now we're not talking about that and we know that everyone suffers. If you're a believer you're going to suffer. I mean just the the fall, the curse of the fall upon the earth, upon our bodies, upon all of nature and everything. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be perversion. We're going to walk through it. But God has allowed that because that is the fire we pass through in this life that tries us and tempers us, that brings us patience, endurance, wisdom. And... If you will, just study Job, and you'll see that his suffering wasn't brought on as a cycle of discipline, although there were disciplinary things in there, and God had discourse with Job. But take that, or take Luke 13, 1 through 5, if you want to note those, and you'll see that uh, not all suffering is brought on by sin. Not all suffering is brought on by the discipline of God. And we're even to pray that we're led not into testing and trials. Temptation, some manuscripts say. Now, divine discipline falls on the client nation, the priest nation, or the individual, which are very much correlated to this whole idea of discipline. And believe me, discipline and all discipline is divine, coming from God. It also falls on the unbelieving nation. But to tie to that question, where is America? I wanted to stay with believing people because we are believing people and we are in this country. And this country is the reference point today somewhat. Five cycles or six You decide. Leviticus chapter 26, 14 through 39. It's a long read. Time is moving. I'll not read it to you, but I'll take it a few verses at a time and I'll reference these verses for you so that you can study them on your own. That's Leviticus chapter 26, verses 14 through 39. And as I start with these cycles of discipline, I want to call something to your attention. Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapters 10 through 14, the plagues that were brought on Egypt. Because God wanted to show himself great to his people. And he wanted Pharaoh to let his people go. But not too soon. He wanted to show them his greatness and his authority. So I'm going to point out the type that relates to discipline in those plagues as we move forward. So, first, loathsome. That keyword loathsome falls on the first plague of Egypt. And on the first cycle of discipline that God visits, Leviticus 26, 14 through 17 is your keynote for this one. Loss of health, decline of agricultural prosperity, terror, fear, death in combat, loss of personal freedom due to negative volition towards the Bible. Now, due to negative volition towards the Bible, I mean, that's pretty much commonly known, but I, want, I wanted to add that and stress it, loss of personal freedom. So as I go through these five points, these five cycles, you're going to see that cycle one entered into can be reversed if there's repentance and a turning away from that which is condemnable on the part of the nation or the person. These things can be turned around, but you will see that these are progressive and cumulative And Leviticus deals with client nation Israel. But I want you to listen to these things and I want you to apply them to today where you live. And look at nations around the world, look at the world in general. But if you are going to ask me what I think where America is, I refer you to this. First cycle, loss of health, decline of agricultural prosperity, terror, fear, death in combat, and loss of personal freedom. Cycle number two, painful. Painful was the next uh, scourge upon Egypt as Pharaoh uh, resisted Moses, and that keyword ties into the next plague. Second cycle, economic recession, depression, increased personal individual discipline for continued negative volition towards the things of God. That's Leviticus 26. We'll be in in 26 continually. But verses 18 and 20, the next two verses, as you read them, you will read about this. Now you have to do a little study there and pull them out. Economic recession, depression, increased personal individual discipline. Number three, And the reference word here back to the scourge of Egypt is appalling. uh, An appalling plague now falls upon Egypt. And you can read specifically what it is, and it ties in wonderfully here. Violence and the breakdown of law and order. Severe restrictions on travel and commerce. The effect nationally and individually. Now, that's Leviticus 26, verses 21 and 22. Number four, overwhelming. The next plague that fell upon Egypt was an overwhelming plague. For the sake of time, I'm not specifying those. They're an easy read. Cycle number four. Military conquest and or foreign occupation. Scarcity of food. Separation of families. Leviticus 26, 23 through 26. Can you remember some examples of that? Military conquest or foreign occupation. Scarcity of food and separation of families. Separation of families, I can remember when Daniel, a young man, was taken when they were conquered by Babylon. Uh, foreign conquest, I can remember when uh, Nineveh was blessed of God after Jonah fought so hard not to go there. Uh, raised up for a 100 years or, or more in godly living, then fell apart, became an evil nation. But God used that evil number two to go to evil number one client nation, Israel, as the nation of Assyria and to conquer them, to ride in, to devastate and to carry away into captivity. That's a cycle. And these cycles are a way that God deals with nations and people, and it cannot be said that it only happened to Israel and will not happen to anyone else. If you look at nation after nation in this world's history, you'll see how these things befall mankind. It's God trying to speak, trying to get their attention. Number five. Death. If you remember that last plague that hit Egypt, it was the plague of death, wasn't it? The first one. It's a little broader in the fifth cycle edition of discipline upon a nation or upon an individual, and I'll move to the individual in a moment. Destruction of the nation and dispersion. How many times did that happen to Israel before they learned? Due to maximum rejection of biblical principles it is always for the same reason in the end death of that nation that nation destroyed never to be again look at sodom and gomorrah and look at babylon of old or or some of those other cities that god said there will never be the voice of another child heard in you and to this day there are nations that have disappeared without memory Number 5 would be Leviticus 26 verses 27 through 38 and if you will Deuteronomy 28 verses 49 through 67 as an individual divine discipline may include the sin unto death if you will read John 5:16 you will see that there is a sin If you see a a, a brother commit a sin, I would that you pray for such a one. But if you see one commit a sin, which is a sin unto death, I would not that you even pray for that one. So there is a sin unto death. That's the final chapter in the cycles of discipline that God brings forth. Now, Israel had a fourfold cycle here. And it's easy to see in all this. They started in rebellion. They entered up in retribution at the hand of God. Usually bringing them after time into repentance and restoration. Now the five cycles of discipline revolve in, around, and through that fourfold cycle. Whether it's in your personal life, in your national life it makes no difference. It seems to follow that pattern and we'd be wise to learn that, especially the repentance and restoration. Is that available to America today? Without a revival? I don't know. Have we a pivotal factor in America? The number of mature believers responsible for praying and crying out to God? to come to the rescue of this nation, to reestablish us in the things we once had as a young nation, when men of God, men of understanding of Scripture, entered in and helped create a Constitution, a Bill of Rights, preamble to the Constitution, those documents that we established much of our legal system and our governing system on, I don't know you know it's interesting that before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that Lot had to be brought out of there and Abram was speaking to God and he said you know but for 50 righteous would you destroy this city and then he started asking and going down and count each time and each time God said I would not destroy it but for such a number what is that number for America? I do not know. I can't find it in scripture. I don't see America in prophecy. Does that mean she'll not be here? I don't, see, I don't see Australia in prophecy. I don't see Peru in prophecy. I don't know. And the people ask me these things. But I can't answer them. But I can say one thing. There is a cycle of discipline that comes upon the individual and upon a nation especially a nation that I personally believe became a client nation to God, this God-given nation, as it was, was set up on scriptural principles. And many of the things we developed early in this nation were set up that way. Now, did we have unbelievers? Yes, we had a strong contingent of unbelievers. And they have always been there, but there was a pivotal factor in this nation at one time that set the course for most opinions and attitudes even of unbelievers who respected the believers, respected the cross of Christ, respected the Bible and the right of those of us who would speak of God to do so openly and engage in governmental, educational, and legal (laughs) Aspects of this nation. So, where is America and what will happen? I don't know, but I pray that we all daily are in prayer for this nation, that God would continue to lead us, that He would bring revival to this nation, reestablishing His precepts, His edicts, and His agenda for our government and for our nation. I think if we miss the opportunity soon, the time will be gone and there'll be a time when that mature, pivotal group will be set aside and this nation, like many others, will go by the way. For the judgments of God, you could refer to Ezekiel chapter 20. You'll see there the judgments that God visits upon people. Now there is an exemption, thank God. The exemptions are of the remnant, those faithful and that's in John 5.24 let me read that to you here in closing it's a it's a wonderful verse John 5.24 says verily verily I say unto you he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come unto judgment but is passed from death into life now there's our hope in all of this That's our hope when we don't know where the course of America leads. But there are five cycles of discipline that I find. I hope that I've identified them well for you this morning. I hope you think about them. And if nothing more, think about them in terms of your personal life. It's an important thing. I grieve for this country. I fear for the masses of people who are so stiff-necked and proud that they can't wait to get God out of this country, to get righteousness out of this country, to bring forth evil and to serve it daily as they turn to their flesh and nothing more. And God's curse is upon them. Make no mistake. God leaves no evil undone. There will come a time when America, having... Gained so many things from God, such wonderful blessings, having his help to create this nation. And perhaps tongue-in-cheek or very carefully, I can say, this nation was not established as an empty land. There were a people here. And if you read in history some of the things that were found going on in this land, could you not say that perhaps... Even as as Syria invaded Israel, perhaps Europe invaded a land here that was under the fifth cycle of discipline. There was no knowledge of God in this land, not the one and only true and living God. Central America and South America, these whole Western Americas, perhaps came under the fifth cycle of discipline, and the agent of that discipline were those Europeans that came here. And they brought with them their belief in God, at least a third. And God blessed that and blessed this nation. And to whom much is given, much is required. But please take these words serious. Take them into your thoughts, even into some study, and you decide where you think America will be, depending on what we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your word. Father, I'm thankful for the confidence that we can have in our salvation, the knowledge that you love and discipline those who are your own, yet those who refuse you fall into tribulation, Father. As for this nation, Father, I pray that your grace and mercy might touch it, that you would lift up your people, your body of Christ in this nation, even others without this nation are praying for us, that we might remain strong and true to you, Father, and a light on the hill where the gospel is spoken forth to a world where in many places it is totally closed to the word of Christ, the gospel of Christ. Father, I pray that you maintain this nation, that you carry it forward. I pray that you bring revival in this land. I pray that Somehow we get enough believing people into the leadership positions all across this land that they have great effect on this nation and its course. And that your agenda, Father, comes back into this land politically, educationally, judicially, Father. And that these great institutions might turn again to you, recognizing and respecting you in your ways. Yet, Father, I know that it takes the cooperation of your children and a listening for your word. And I know that there is a plan in the end that benefits you, Father, to your will. And there are dark days before the second coming of our Lord and Savior when he puts his throne on the Holy Mount of Israel. Dark days indeed, and I know not what that process is and though I pray father for the maintenance of this land if that is not your will then father your will be done and mine be set aside but nevertheless I ask and I ask that you preserve this land and that you bring us back in great revival and that America stands strong to the end even to the end of the age And may all that are here be blessed this morning. May they have learned something. May it touch their heart and their soul. And may they take it to themselves in belief and understanding as they study. And may they have confidence in you alone, a one and only true and living God, giver of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory and honor forever and ever. For in his name we pray. Amen.